This is the CineSnob Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 254 of the CineSnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viavagna. Cody, uh, it's been a few weeks. Uh, how you been? How did you fare? Uh, was the ice storm in San Antonio as bad as it was in Austin here? It was not. It actually wasn't bad here. Uh, we had, um, you know, a couple of days that were cold. I had my power flicker once, mm-hmm. um, but like no major power outages. Um, and, and it really just wasn't cold enough to freeze here. So like, even when it was like raining for like 24 hours straight, it was the temperature was at like 35, 36. So it was never okay. getting like problematic here. I mean, they still shut down, you know, highways and canceled screenings and stuff like that. But that was the extent of it. So here it was, this is the worst it's been since 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, which I believe you lost power and like you had nothing for like days, right? Like you didn't even have cell service. If I remember yes. correctly. Yeah. So I had, uh, we had rolling blackouts, which was, so I had eight hours of power and then eight hours of no power and then eight hours of power and no power for like two or three days. And then, mm-hmm. uh, the cell service was basically dead, um, during that time. Yeah. So we didn't lose power this time. Knock on wood. We didn't lose power last time either. Um, but every like every tree in Austin has been either destroyed or severely damaged. We had uh, we had like limbs crack. It's crazy here. It looks like a tornado, uh, like you know tornado damage. Um, luckily, we we had some. We we weren't hit too bad with it. Our trees didn't break too badly. But there was some guys down the street cutting down branches, and they came to my house yesterday and asked if. I wanted them to help mm-hmm. and they drove in from Houston Whoa. just to work. It's like, Oh, sure. So I gave them a, a sum of money. I didn't get ripped off. I don't think, but uh, anyway, That's good. the problem is solved. Now we have a bunch of firewood too. Cause we built a fire for the first time oh. in a long time. It was very cozy. I just noticed your, uh, your kid's choice award. What did you win that for? Um, I bought, it's a replica Mm, that I bought so you from. Didn't win. No, I. You know what I do have up there uh, that I should put on this back shelf is a Cable Ace Award, and that's a that's a legit real Cable Ace Award. <laughs> Are you from? Uh, that was way before your time, I'm sure. I've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of it though. Yeah. Um, it's for um, <clears throat> I believe uh, some sort of documentary, mm-hmm. um, but I found it on eBay and I was like, this is too weird to not have. <laughs> uh, because it's a legit cable ace award it was awarded to i don't i can't remember who it's up on a shelf up there I'll, maybe i'll put it behind me I, i've been redecorating here and repositioning my camera and i wish i had a real nickelodeon kids choice award but that's a 3d printed one mm. i saw um speaking of i saw someone on twitter somewhere posted one that they had bought off of somebody but they had to black out the name Mm-hmm. because I guess it's like the Oscars. You you have to sell it back to the Academy for a dollar. You have to give it back to Nickelodeon. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, how well they treat it. I always love seeing those stories of like guys selling their Super Bowl rings and stuff for like absurd amounts of money. I didn't know. I didn't know the Oscars was the, was one you had to sell back. Yeah. I believe uh, you can't like, you can't like, I don't know, contractually sell it. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly how that works. There's all kinds of rules. I, I have like actual real awards that I've won back there. 
there's a te- there's a telly a couple telly awards that you're only allowed to like advertise that you won a telly award for a year hmm. same with an emmy like if you win a local news emmy then you can only you can only uh, you can only call yourself an emmy winning whatever for a year you can only use it in like promotion oh uh, i haven't won an emmy i've lost every emmy that i've been up for so you're the uh uh uh, Susan Lucci is that there it? you go that's a good reference there <laughs> a nice pull <laughs> <laughs> I think she actually did win an Emmy like 20 years ago too so mm-hmm. I think yeah the, the um, uh, Diane Warren that's the oh the, yeah the, the songwriter music. I think they gave her an honorary Oscar at some point but uh, Roger Deakins for a while mm-hmm. um, yeah I don't know anyway um, yeah so uh Anyway, you survived the cold. We survived the cold. Uh, during the time we've been off, you uh, you attended Sundance, Cody. Uh, the, yeah. What is I it did... called? Sundance at Home? Yeah, just virtual Sundance. They're doing a hybrid uh, festival these days. So they basically they premiere in Park City, and then uh, 48 hours later, they're available online to cover. So uh, I took a week off of work. And oh, watched... really? Look at yeah. you. And watched uh, 51 movies Holy <laughs> over the course of the festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. How did that go? It was great. I mean, uh, I mean, for me, I took the week off, which I I normally take a few days off, but this week I was like, you know what? I'm just going for it. And it's like sun up, start the movies, and then until I go to sleep. <laughs> so I was I was getting about five a day, and then a couple of days I got like seven in. Um, oh man. It, it was, it was, it's great. I mean. You know, it's it's such a good festival. You know, I think, you know, this year, you know, I, I watched 51 movies, and I would say, like, one or two of them were bad. Most of what I saw was, like, okay to pretty good to really good. And so, you know, when you're when you've got that kind of percentage, you're you're programming at a pretty great rate. Well, I mean, it is it is the I guess preeminent film festival still in the world. I don't think I mean. Maybe Cannes or Toronto comes close, but T- Cannes seems like more of an art film festival. Sundance is like where things actually go to get released. Yeah, and it's interesting too because, like, um, because you know, previously they, you know, there were hot titles that came out of that festival, but like didn't necessarily lead to awards, accolades, or stuff like that. You know, you've seen some stuff break through that that premiered there. You know, a lot of, you know, Fox Searchlight, Oscar stuff would would go there but then uh you know it all kind of broke open a couple years ago when coda won best picture it was the first sundance movie to ever win best picture um and that was kind of like a pretty important moment um you know especially considering that happened during like the fully virtual uh version of that festival so was that just last year it was two years ago okay yeah um so you know it was it was uh, it was a really great time. Um, I watched a lot of uh, stuff that that I, um, I'm curious to see what happens when it gets released and and, and what the response will be. Um, and then you know just like the way that it was run, the platform worked perfectly smooth and um, yeah, it was just a really well done festival. I had a great time. Is there anything in particular you, you want to talk about uh, film wise or that you can talk about? Yeah, yeah. So I so I I, I put up and, and people can go find on uh, on newsforsanantonio.com. You can find mm. um, a handful of reviews that I wrote as well as like a kind of breakdown of my five favorite movies from the festival. And 
you know, the best thing I watched was uh, a documentary called 20 Days in Mariupol. Um, it's uh, so basically um, when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, there was a lot of like AP uh, photography that was airing on the news websites and like, you know, there were shots of, you know, you know, hospitals and, and, and doctors who were in distress and children who were being attacked and in uh, in uh, sort of like um, civilian areas and the hospital was bombed and all this stuff. But you were seeing like little snippets and clips of it on the news, like still photographs or like quick clips. And, you know, what you find out is that um, there were a couple of AP photographers who were basically trapped there during the invasion, stuck in a hospital. And and, and they were just struggling to like get that bit of footage out and they were only able to like break it up into small clips or send images because um, of the of like the cell service. And so what you mm -hmm. get from this doc is like the raw footage of what happened in those 20 days after the invasion. So it's like an absolutely uh, brutal watch. I mean, it's yeah. not pleasant at all, but you know, it's similar to sort of like, you know, I know we've talked about it a bunch, but like, with like Citizen Four, where you're watching footage that is like historical in nature, like it's like you're watching something that that like goes down as like a really important document, um, right. and, and just because of that, it makes it really important. There's another uh, similar documentary called uh, Beyond Utopia, which is like um, a, a documentary about um, uh, this family that is defecting from North Korea. And basically there's a guy in South Korea who helps people safely cross, but it's extremely dangerous to cross over from North Korea into China. And so uh, this like family of six is trying to get out of North Korea into China and then you know go through China and, and, and go through Vietnam and a couple other places to become safe. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and, it, and all of it is like shot with actual cell phone footage of their journey so like there's no reenactments or anything so like you're watching some very perilous situations go on and it goes into sort of like the the sort of misinformation with north korea and and, and uh and how oppressive it is and that was really great um on the lighter side of things um, yeah it's very very heavy subject yeah. matter there my, my favorite narrative was uh was a movie called uh you hurt my feelings um I don't know how much of Nicole Holoff Center's movies you've seen. Her biggest one or most well known is probably Enough Said, the with Julia Louis Dreyfus and James Gandolfini. Um, uh, yeah, that's man. I I actually never watched that one. I know that okay. was really well. I'm a huge James Gandolfini fan, clearly, but I yeah, never, and I think it was his last movie. I believe. Yeah, I do believe so. Uh, um, uh, well, I think he actually appeared in Killing Them Softly after he died but i think it was like his second to last movie but anyway um you know she's a writer director she's done that she's she was a writer on the last duel um she was a writer on can you ever forgive me and and she's she's a really well-known uh, tv director as well she's done a bunch of like parks and rec and you know um some other stuff but anyway um so basically the, the it's got julia louis drivers in it and the premise of the movie is is she's like a, an author and she wrote a a, a pretty decent memoir that did well now she's transitioning into uh novels and uh she's she's having trouble getting her novel published and one day she's like about to go meet her husband somewhere and, and decides to like sneak up on him and she, in, in doing this overhears him tell someone that 
he actually thinks her, her new book is really bad and he's been lying to her about it being good and she takes this as like the ultimate betrayal so the whole movie is sort of about like like diving into should you lie to people that you love to spare their feelings even when you're not telling the whole truth so it's sort of like mm -hmm. that sort of like blind um support even if you you know don't quite agree with it so it's it, it just gets into this like really complex um debate and discussion uh and it's really funny it's it's like really smart and julia louis dreyfus is really great in it so those were my like top three things i saw there uh cool so is anything um i haven't seen anything come out uh distribution wise i i see that you hurt my feelings is an a24 film so we're, mm -hmm. we'll surely be seeing that at some point this year yeah um definitely and and i think i think the big uh like the big seller there was a there was a movie i watched that was kind of like a erotic thriller i guess you could call mm -hmm. it um uh to go on <laughs> yeah. uh, netflix bought it it's called a uh, fair play um i thought mm -hmm. that was okay um but netflix paid a, a a pretty penny for it um you know it's it's weird because these days like a lot of these movies are coming in with distribution already like i watched a handful of movies at a24 already owned or had mm -hmm. um a lot a couple of like focus features movies so uh there, there wasn't like that typical big bidding war uh you know movie you know something like coda that came out of a couple of years ago that you know that ended up winning best picture and stuff like that so you know there was there was uh some solid stuff but 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 nothing where i think um there was a big release for it you know i watched the new michael j fox documentary that's going to be on apple tv later this year that was mm -hmm. good um uh yeah so cool well um yeah sounds uh sounds like you had a uh what ah, how long does it normally take you to watch 51 movies in a year oh god um like three months four months maybe and you did it in 10 days roughly yeah yeah i mean now, now I'll, I'll i'll be fair and i'll say in about eight or nine days i watched 41 and then I watched the 10 previously in the week leading up to it. So, okay. but, but, but still, I mean, I get, I get close to about 250 new, or excuse me, I get close to 200 new releases a year. So it takes me about like four months to get through 50. Damn. So I've never even checked how many I watch. I have no letterboxed, idea. Letterboxed baby. I know. I tried to, to keep up with it once and I gave up. I, I do it every single year and every year it's a festival that breaks me where <laughs> I just get really stuck behind. But this year, knock on wood, I am, currently up to date on my letterboxd well there you go all right anything else before we move on um no just uh just uh you know we'll be I'll hopefully be doing this all over again for south by in a, in a couple of months and i'm excited i these these oh, online yeah. festivals man it's the way to go i wish more festivals would really lean into it because it it creates easy access it's so much easier than bouncing around to different venues when you can just you know pop a new movie on your TV. Like I was getting four or five movies in and then I was going out for dinner and like I would I was done with five movies by dinner time. Like that's the best. Well, I mean, I guess it, it helps to take the day off from work too. Sure. Yes. Should but I'd be doing that. that in person anyway. So sorry. My light's falling. Give oh, me one Jesus. second there. <laughs> well, whatever. It just fell behind the desk. So good times. Good times. So uh, let's go. This is why we didn't get nominated. For yeah. Miami. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. 
This week we have Knock at the Cabin. You have to understand that we cannot and will not choose who is to be sacrificed for you. And just as importantly, we cannot act for you. You cannot kill yourselves. We're not choosing anyone. We're not sacrificing anyone. Not now, not ever. Even if it means the death of everyone else in the world. Yes. Even if I believe the world was at stake, which I don't, that's what it means. I would watch the world die a hundred times over before having Christ. Waste of time. They're never going to choose to do this. And I don't blame them. This is, uh, of course, the latest film from uh, director M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, his first since Old, which we reviewed on the show. Um, I don't think either of us were big fans of Old. Mm -hmm. um, kind of uh, continuing his trend of smaller films. Uh, I believe self-finance, too. Uh, Cody, tell us about Knock at the Cabin and what you thought of it. Yeah, so it's a movie that, uh, you know, it's... We'll talk about it as much as possible without getting into spoilery territory, um, and then we may have to crack it open. But, um, yeah, so it, it starts with, with you know, I think what is, in my opinion, like the best scene of the movie, which is the opening scene um, where, you know, we get a look at, uh, you know, Dave Bautista's character comes uh, through, like, the woods and, and finds a young girl and... Um, and basically says like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm here with some friends, and we're gonna have to come inside your cabin." Um, the girl um, uh, has uh, is is in a, a family uh, situation where she has uh, two dads, played by uh, Jonathan Groff and um, uh, boy, the other guy's name is escaping me. I'll get in, in a second. Um, yeah, her her fathers are played by uh, Jonathan Groff and um, and uh, Ben Aldridge and. Um, and basically they, they let him, they let, uh, her know that they need to come inside and then they knock at the cabin, of course, where the name is, comes from. And, and basically they, they get in and they say that, uh, they are people who, um, who have had visions of the apocalypse and, um, and in order to prevent the apocalypse from happening, um, the three of them, meaning the two dads and the daughter, they must just make the decision to kill one of them in order to stop the apocalypse. And every time they don't do that, um, one of the uh, members uh, of the people who show up there will die as well. Yeah, and unleash it. Well, uh, a plague will be unleashed. Yes, as yeah, a, a coordinated uh, plague uh, with one of them dying. So they, so yeah, so it becomes this sort of like psychological thriller of, um, of you know. Are they a bunch of crazies? Are they for real? You know what's going on, and then, you know, as as you know, as the movie progresses, like you know, one of the plagues is unleashed, and they turn on the TV and see, you know, some stuff happening around the world, and so it becomes like, well, are they playing a game with them, or, you know, is there something more nefarious going on, or is it really the apocalypse? Um, so, you know, I, I think, it, so it's based on a book, which will come up a little bit later, but I, I think that. The premise is actually relatively interesting, and I think that it establishes it well. Like I said, I think the first scene of the movie is really good. I think, uh, I think it introduces uh, Dave Bautista's character really well, who you know once again has like uh, an interesting, uh, you know, like meaty acting role as a gentle, uh, a gentle person that sort of like uh, you know juxtaposes his giant 
size with yeah i mean it's yeah you're you're looking like he's very well spoken and polite Mm -hmm. instead of being menacing yeah Yeah. and 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 uh and then you know i think and, and this is where so it's tough to 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 talk about without getting into spoilery territory and it's almost kind of like it's because it's a Shyamalan movie it feels like a spoiler but it's not really to say but close your ears if you don't want to hear it that <laughs> that like the the Shyamalanian twist of the movie is that there really is no twist right it's kind of it's basically a kind of straightforward thing and i think that is where the movie starts to become undone a little bit. So, you know, there's a lot of subtext here. Like clearly having a gay couple is a big part of the story, right? It's, 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 it was left in from the book. And, um, and like, there's a, there's a side plot of, you know, the two of them being judged for their relationship. There's a side plot where we see like, and this is like a, a, you know, flashbacks of like one of their parents being really cold towards the other. And then, you know, one of the people who show up at their door was someone who they believe attacked them in a bar um years ago mm-hmm. and uh you know for being gay again um and that was the thing and so you know the subtext here that's part of the book is like this idea that you know they're you know this gay couple who has an adopted child is like saying hey you need to break up your family or the whole world is going to die kind of thing so clearly there's like some subtext here and the subtext lies like that's the whole point of the book and so the whole time you know one of uh one of the fathers is sort of like convinced that they they're being targeted like they 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 found them in the woods and now they're trying to get them to like kill one another as like uh like uh you know an anti-gay or bigoted kind of thing so believing that they're being specifically targeted because of the makeup of their family and because the movie again spoiler alert i'm gonna spoil something here (laughs) you you know the idea here is that the apocalypse is real right the the idea is that the the experience the experience like the visions that they're having the actual apocalypse is a real thing and the murdering of the family member does prevent things from getting worse and so the problem i think with that is that now it makes the gay character who was convinced that they were being targeted look like paranoid and in like the actual sacrifice of you know what they're saying you know became true which undercuts all of the subtext of the book which i later read about and and i was just watching that ending and i was like but why like if it was real then like like why would you make them and being gay and also the struggle of being a gay couple such a big part of the movie when you're kind of undercutting and undoing that relevance by making it be like yeah you, this is what you had to do in order to in order to survive like it just feels like it's such a short-sighted and surface level decision and 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 I think that it's it's a weird thing coming from Shyamalan to actually show some restraint in a movie where like like having it all be on the surface and having it be you know appear what it is um kind of ruin it yeah i mean not to interrupt you but yeah you you know there is that a very specific plot point in the movie that and you you sent me the synopsis of the book Mm -hmm. um yeah there's a very specific plot point in the movie that feels like 
you know, it 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 adds to the ambiguity of what this couple thinks is happening, right? Like it mm-hmm. it it throws this this monkey wrench into it to make it feel like it's you know, there's something else going on. But then the movie flat out undoes it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very weird. But go ahead, continue. Please. Well, no, I, I mean, I. But it not only does it flat out undo it, but again, like, it makes it so that one of the like one of the bigger underlying story elements of it, it like makes one of the characters look really bad. Uh, in 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 hindsight, right? Because again. You know, you know, you have one character in the movie who is like super adamant. You're targeting it. Uh, you're targeting us. This is about us being a gay couple, and so on and so forth. And the idea that it wasn't, I think, makes the character look bad. And I don't think that th- that's the opposite of the design of this story, especially in the book. And I and I had a big problem with that because I just don't think it makes any sense. I don't think that. I, I think that it, it does that character a disservice. It does the story a disservice. And also, uh, I, I, I find the idea that it it is as straightforward as it is to be far less interesting of a story. It's like they took the easiest path with this movie, which was also the least interesting full, you know, picture story. Yeah, and, and you know, to to add to the... I mean, I think it's fair to say that... that that Shyamalan has gotten away from the, the kind of twistiness of everything in every movie um, for better or worse. That's all he's ever going to be known for because he, he's tried so hard in those, whatever first five huge movies he made to pull the rug out from under you at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That this one is straightforward, but that it retains elements of the novel that, that, that hint at the ambiguity that, that make it seem as though, you know, there, this isn't straightforward that, that this isn't going to be exactly what you're seeing to leave that element in there, uh, specifically referring to Rupert Grint's character. Yes. Um, and, and it's, it's even something that's like followed up on at one point in the film, but then the revelation as to what happens revelation wink, Mm-hmm. Um, nice. is um, is that that still exists? That that connection still exists, but it apparently has nothing to do with anything, right? Um, which I find to be a weird choice to make. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are some things that if you if you know the novel and you can read what it's about, there are some deviations that I think are understandable. Yes. Um, but I I feel like you know. Like you said, like the straightforwardness of it kind of undercuts any sort of subtext that may have been there. And I don't agree that it makes the one character look terrible, but it does sort of throw into it. It it throws a lot of stuff into like flux, I think, that doesn't it doesn't really need to be there. And well, and I also think that 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 the that the book and again, it's. It's a little bit difficult to hold the book against it. It is an adaptation, but you know, presumably not a lot of people are walking into this having read it. Yeah, I don't. But, I have never heard of the book before. But but there's also some like religious subtext here, anti-religious subtext. Better yet, that is completely absent from this because it is straightforward. And I think again, 
there is like the story that that's pre presented in the book sounds far more interesting than one that you get here because again of the straightforward thing because then because at this point it doesn't become like an lgbt uh you know uh parable or whatever and it also doesn't become a religious exploration it just becomes a fucking apocalypse movie at that point and and one that like you know when you realize how surface level everything is becomes far less interesting like sure there's good performances i think that it is um it's Shyamalan's like best looking movie in a long time i think it looks great i think it's shot really well um i think that there's some decent writing in the first half of the movie but but once it sort of like shows its cards and and, and then and then uh finishes in that you know straightforward way I just it just felt like the air was out of the balloon at that point. Yeah, I I yeah, topical with that uh, Chinese spy balloon. Look at yeah. you, Cody. Look at yeah. you. Um, this no, that's not going to make sense in two years when someone listens to this. Like, <laughs> yeah. What the fuck are they talking about? Um, yeah, it, I agree. I think I think Dave Bautista is really good in this too. Um, you're kind of playing that same same sort of quiet menace, you know. Pol a little bit of a toned down Drax, I guess, if you're looking for for um, a, a, a comparison to something you may have seen him in. Um, you know, I, I think the uh, Rupert Grint has fun, I think, in, in a very small role. Um, again, that role, though, that the the character, the things that that are like that character is, is called back. There's a callback to that character. That that again doesn't mean anything by the end of the film. Mm -hmm. um, it undoes any sort of 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 idea that maybe this was something bigger than what it is. No, it's just four people who know exactly what the apocalypse is going to be. By the way, this is I love that. Um, no matter what Shyamalan does, like he can't get away. It's it a very very specific thing that I've noticed. If you watch um, Signs, it's the same thing. His news report writing. And directing like mm -hmm. anything that's supposed to be the news is so god awful, and so like weird and and straightforward and and like w like totally ambiguous. It it's so it I, it was like I watched that and I'm like oh it's like I'm 20 years ago and I'm watching signs when they're talking about the aliens landing, but they're were intentionally vague about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and like when you see these news reports, you're like oh shit, like the movie is like it's really. It's really laying its cards out, telling you, no, this is exactly what it is about. And I, I agree. I did find that far less interesting. I still think the movie is is decently watchable. Well, not more than decently watchable. I think it's a, a, a well done movie for the most part. I think it's just when it finally when it finally all comes together, again, it is way less interesting than it than it could have been. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, what's your grade for this, Cody? I give it a C plus. Um, I, I I think there's a version of uh, there's a version of of this movie that is way more interesting. Maybe one that follows the book a little bit more closely. Um, and I think for a it's very watchable for the majority of it. Like there isn't that sort of like corny Shyamalan style stuff that that like the corn factor is like not as present there, as it normally is on this there, stuff. There's no one named a uh, mid-sized sedan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Correct. Or, or whatever poor, uh, however childish, poor um, uh, Thomas and Mackenzie had to act in old. 
Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that thankfully those things are are better, but um, but you know I, I think it's watchable. I think it it like altogether it is maybe Shyamalan's best movie in quite some time. Uh, but I think that because it is so straightforward, it comes at a detriment to the story, and it's really it's really kind of upsetting that all of this like really interesting subtext was excised, but like. So like I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is when you have a story like this that has so much subtext at the ready and you choose not to use it it's weird to like still keep elements of it in the movie like to keep the elements of the paranoia to keep the elements of the, the Rupert Grant character to keep the elements of thinking that they're being attacked for being a gay couple and even just like keeping the gay couple as part of it that's all in there but yet none of the none of the things that make it interesting are there or none of the things that are explored thematically are in there. So it feels like like a stunt thing, and it also feels like a lot is left on the table. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, I agree with you on all of that. I still think it's, for the most part, like a pretty decent watch. Uh, for that, I'm giving it a B-. minus. I feel like there's, there's enough uh, good setup here that by the time you get to when it, it, lets you know exactly what's happening it's not that that like oh come on feeling you get with a lot of and, and you know uh, frankly some of Shyamalan's earlier stuff um it's just sort of like oh that's not as fun as what i was expecting mm-hmm. um you know and i think i i agree that opening scene is really good um i think the setup is great yeah uh i like um uh the actress uh who plays uh when uh, is I believe it's her first, at least her first big role. Uh, oh, she's great, Kristen Cooey. Um, she's really great. Um, and there's some like you, like you mentioned, there's some flashbacks that that kind of like fill in some blanks as to why this, you know, why these people would feel certain ways about what's happening. Again, it's all kind of thrown out the window. Uh, it makes no sense. It, it's like, oh, you, you know. You know, there's there's the the idea that the the one uh one member of the couple is uh like religious where the other one is not mm-hmm. um and the other and the one who is not is is very defensive about well i mean not very defensive but 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 shoved into like a uh, like a self defense mode after an attack so mm-hmm. there's these things that happen uh that that lead you to where they are but then again like oh well no everything was was just as it seemed kind of throws all that stuff into just well why are we do why do we bother with this right um yeah yeah, i I, mean like like the twist stuff here is like all misdirect which is annoying right 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 yeah it's not a it's um it reminds me i've i've talked about this a lot but it reminds me again of red state yeah um I think Red State was just a misdirect, though, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate, uh, what did I say? B minus? Yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's it for this week, Cody. Uh, next week, uh, what's happening? Are we doing anything? Because it's the Super Bowl next week. I don't yeah. have an invite for Magic Mike. Yeah, and I haven't seen any Magic Mike movies. Any? I haven't seen the first two, so I wasn't keen on. I've heard they're great, but I just don't. I saw the first one. Um, 
I don't. Uh, I didn't see the second one. The second one is not. Uh, it's not a Soderbergh movie. Uh, right? Didn't did Channing Tatum direct it? Or? No, it's uh, Gregory Jacobs. I don't know who that um, is. He's um, he's a, a Soderbergh guy. Oh, like, okay. He, he works with Soderbergh. He it was like a producer for uh, uh, for Contagion and Haywire and Magic mm-hmm. Mike and Girlfriend Experience. Oh, Steven cetera, Soderbergh cetera. shot and edited XXL. Yeah, but he didn't direct it. Yeah. Um, this one looks kind of a crazy departure from the first two anyway. I Let me tell you, the first one, uh, I was still in San Antonio when that one was released. I don't mm-hmm. remember what year it was released, but um, I remember going to the screening and there were so many women there dressed up like they were going to a club mm-hmm. um, just to see Channing Tatum strip. Who else was in that one? I can't remember. Uh, uh, uh I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen it. Matthew McConaughey's in it. Oh, oh, um, okay. oh yeah. Uh, Joe Manganiello and uh, um, uh, Gabriel Iglesias is in it. <laughs> Not stripping, really? thankfully. Oh, okay. Um, I think Olivia Munn is in the at the very beginning. Oh um, yeah. At any rate, uh, oh no, sorry. That's uh, the, sorry. Uh, Gabriel Iglesias is in Magic Mike XXL. My bad. Uh, well, that makes more sense. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alex Pettifer is the... Oh, and Cody Horn. Remember her? Oh, yeah. Uh, whatever happened to her after being on The know. Office? And um, Anyway. Yeah, uh, we'll probably skip it because uh, that'll set us up for the following week, which is um, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. And, yes. then, uh, and then the week after that is uh, well, what, of course, we've all been waiting for, uh, Cocaine Bear. I saw a trailer for that uh, today uh, for the first time when I went to see um, Knock at the Cabin. Uh, Also saw one of the most uh, one of the saddest trailers in the world uh, for a movie called uh, Hawthorne. Uh, No, sorry. Sorry. Not Hawthorne. Marlowe. Oh, Um, yeah. Have you seen the trailer? I believe so. Yes. Well, this trailer was introduced by Liam Neeson. Uh, in a video clearly recorded on an iPhone where he's like reading a script off just off camera. Mm-hmm. And it's it was like a two minute video of Liam Neeson followed by the two and a half minute trailer for Marlowe. I don't know what what the circumstances were behind this, but it's a weird, weird, weird <laughs> thing. Anyway, uh, that's uh, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. Find us on Twitter at Cinesnob, Facebook Cinesnob.net, uh, YouTube.com slash Cinesnob. Uh, Cody, um, are you still doing the ramble? Ramble has been on short hiatus with Jerry doing chemo, but um, hopefully we'll, that will be back within the next couple of weeks, and hopefully I'll be able to join this time around. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it's finally happened, and it was supposed to happen this past week, uh, but the weather postponed it. Um, hopefully this coming week, your your boy is going to be on his first uh, Heathcliff podcast so, oh. as a guest. Wow. Uh, some a couple guys in town run a thing called the Meatcast, which is a Heathcliff recap podcast. So the um, levels of the levels of irony here, I just can't keep up with. I look, um, you've you've not uh, partaken in the gospel of Heathcliff, and that's fine. Um, just know that that there is a fandom out there and it's very active. There's an active, very active discord server that I'm part of that is just about Heathcliff. I'm so. sure that place is a great place to be. I mean, it's, 
it's very progressive so it's it's fine it's not like you're you're wallowing in in the terribleness of the internet so mm-hmm. anyway um anything else before we go cody uh no i don't think so i uh go read my sundance coverage and uh yeah yeah uh news4sa.com and i think on fox san antonio as well i believe Pro- probably most it's of it. probably it's pretty pretty uh shares it they share a lot so mm-hmm. all right uh on that note i'm jared kingery i'm cody viafania Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.